0: Um, I want to welcome today to Pro Mindset, Coach Tom McDaniels. Coach, thank you for joining us on the show today. Happy to be with you. Okay, Coach, so why don't you share for the audience your relationship to the game of football?
1: I grew up in uh, Orville, Ohio, and, and Orville is famous for being hometown of Bobby Knight uh, and Smucker's Jelly. Uh, but it was a it was a small town in North, northeast Ohio, close-knit community. A diverse community, and uh, very much into the high school sports. Uh, you know, the social lives of the people in that that town sort of revolved around high school sports, depending upon the season of the year. So, you know, I was a grade school kid and a middle school kid that grew up, you know, wanting to be an Orville Red Rider, and uh, had a, had an undistinguished career myself. I was I was very average at best in, in every way uh, as an athlete. But I fell in love with the game early, and, 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 and I think I had a good mind for the game. And I think that that even as a player, I was more interested in the coaching part than I was the playing part.
0: Coach, what position did you play in high school?
1: I was a quarterback and a defensive back. And uh, graduated from high school, went to Clarion State University. Uh, it's in western Pennsylvania. I'd, I'd had six knee surgeries, you know, so so that sort of speaks to my athletic ability I, I wasn't able to avoid, you know, as many hits as I wanted to perhaps, but uh, did not have a college career, but knew I wanted to coach. And upon graduation from Clarence State University in 1972, I came back to Orville as as an assistant coach, and I was an unpaid volunteer. Their staff was intact. Most of those people were my coaches when I was there. Uh, And it wasn't until they either moved in administration or retired that I you know, that I could move up. So I functioned as a – was an assistant for 10 years, you know, at Orville, and then at a place in, in, in more central Ohio called Mansfield, Ohio, and then back to Orville, and then was hired at Canton McKinley as an assistant coach uh, for my ninth and 10 years as an assistant and became a head coach there at Canton McKinley in 1982. Uh, and for the people listening, our home field was was the Hall of Fame game field the hall of fame the profile hall of fame happened to be built, be built next door to it so they played the hall of fame game there and still do but at that time it was really a high school stadium but it was big time high school football as big as high school football can can get in ohio we were in the large school division we were uh, a public school uh, I, again uh, a city urban school setting uh, and I, I I think I was fit for that kind of environment But we had a great run there, and uh, following the 1997 season, we we were preseason USA Today, you know, the number one ranked team, you know, back when they did that. I don't even know if they still do that. And we ran the table and were undefeated and were state and national champions, you know, state champions on the field and and the mythical national champions, uh, according to USA Today. Okay, Coach, uh,
0: let me interject real quick. Okay. So how many years did you coach high school football as a head coach?
1: 26 of the 40 years that I spent, I was a head coach.
0: Okay, so you coached high school football for 40 years. You, you were a head coach for 26. And you happened to be the mythical national champion one season. Let's go back down memory lane and go through those twenty, you know, six years of being a head coach. Okay. What was the biggest impact you made on the kids, and what has kind of recycled back to you as these guys have gone off to college, become, you know, gotten married, gotten jobs, and become adults. What has been the most rewarding thing about being a head football coach at the high school level?
1: Well, I, I understood pretty pretty early in, in my, my head coaching experience that it, it was important where I was coaching. It was important for us to win games. It was important. Football matters. Uh, and it was important to beat our arch-rival, Maslin. Um, we played for over 130 years. But at the same time, I, I understood that that as the most public representative of the school system, you know, more people were going to watch our football team play than any other group associated with the school system. They were going to see our marching band and our high school football team. It, it was important you know, for the kids to understand that how we behaved was as important as how we played. So we were going to try to be the team that, that won every game, but we wanted to also be the team that represented, you know, my superintendent, my board of education, and the mayor of the city, uh, you know, my principal in the school district. We wanted to represent them the right way. And and, and that wasn't always true of, of the teams at, at, at that school at Canton McKinley. Uh, they, they were always fast. They were always physical, but they weren't always as disciplined as they needed to be, and, and they didn't always represent, you know, on the field, you know, what what their superiors and, and and the important people in the community wanted us to represent. So, so that became a core concept of ours. Yeah, we want to play like crazy. We want to win games, but but we also want to represent this city and the, the school system the right way, and we were able to get the kids to buy into that. And I never knew whether we modified their behavior temporarily. I hoped it would be permanent, but, you know, there were very, very few occasions in my head coaching experience where where we ever did anything that, that was an embarrassment, you know, to, to the program, to the system, you know, to the city. And consequently, you know, I think that, that – you know, there's a large portion of our kids who, who became adults, and and they weren't competing anymore, but how they behaved was as important as anything that they did, and and so we've got a lot of kids that, that I think took that core concept and, and, and let it become permanent. You know, we always hoped it would be, you know, but I know a lot of them now is dads and parents and husbands, and, and they're not all coaching, obviously, but but there's a whole bunch of them that are successful. And I think that had a lot to do with it.
0: Okay, coach. Tom, let's talk about the culture that you developed as a head coach. And yep. back then, they might not even have called it culture. Now they call it culture. Before John Wooden came out with his pyramid of success, no one really realized that you could frame your culture. Okay. Yep. And, you know, Bill Snyder did the same thing at Kansas State. And I could list, you know, 50 coaches that have done it. What was your culture?
1: You know, it's, it's multifaceted, uh, and I'll try to represent it, you know, in, in a few phrases as best I can, but it was intentional. Even though we didn't have a name for it, it was intentional, you know, and, and now the culture word is, is, is commonplace. But one of the things that we believed in and, and we wanted our, our players to understand and, and accept was that nothing about football was unimportant. When players start to decide that, that this about football is important and this about football is unimportant, that that's when we have issues. You know, and, and, and so if it was important enough for us to teach, then it was important enough for them to take seriously and and to attempt, you know, to, to do the way that we had coached it to do. We we, we didn't want players, you know, deciding that you know, you're a gunner on a punt team, but that's not important, you know, because I'd rather be the tailback or the quarterback or a starting linebacker. So we sold our kids on that and and, and sold them on the whole concept of, of about, you know, team football. We, we had a whole program for that. I spoke to the National Convention one year about that. But we, we sold the concept of team. We wanted them to believe that nothing about football was unimportant. You, you know, there are a lot of easy things in our game. And we wanted to do all the easy things well. You know, stance is an easy thing, and we wanted to be in a stance that we coached. You know, if you're a defender and you're reading a key, that's an easy thing. It takes no special ability to read a key, but we wanted to read a key. Alignment, you know, splits, all all of those things that we all sort of sort of refer to as, as fundamentals and basics. We wanted to be great at them because most of them have nothing to do with ability. And, and so we take our talented kids, and we get them to do all those basic, fundamental things really well. And it's amazing how many games you can win when you do the easy things well. You know, so so that was a concept that, that we sold. And and you know, I was at two different high schools. You know, very similar, but we had remarkable success both places. But we we sold the same blueprint. Um, we never wanted to be scheme rich and execution poor. And, and there's a whole lot of that going on. I think in, in high school football today, we have more schemes than we can be really good at. So, you know, less is more, you know, from our standpoint, but but we never wanted to be, you know, coach's office scheme rich, but, you know, practice field and game field execution poor. That's not who we wanted to be. And so so we learned how to do that. We didn't right away, but we learned how to become that. You know, that's a concept that, that we believed in and that we shared and, and that we sold with our kids. We never believed that there was such a thing as too much individual practice. Uh, you know, historically, we, we have individual periods and group periods and team periods, but with the kids that, that we coached in those inner city environments, there was no such thing as too much individual. There is such a thing as too much group and too much team. But we weren't going to be that, that kind of coaching staff, and we were not going to be that kind of team. Uh, we were going to devote a, a ton of time to players' individual skills and positions and, and techniques and fundamentals. Uh, and, and obviously we were going to group up at some point and we were going to team up at some point, but we were never going to cheat uh, in, individual time. We just didn't believe in that. Uh, we were a team that believed that scrutinizing and studying our our previous game was way more important than studying the next opponent. You know, we played Friday, and we devote four hours on Saturday morning to grading our film and evaluating our performance and scrutinizing the way we played, sharing the film and the information with the kids. Because, you know, in a 42-6 to win, there were still mistakes that were made. And we knew that if we didn't correct those mistakes, we couldn't beat the best people who still remained on our schedule. So, you know, that was a a core concept of of who we are and and what we wanted to do. Some of us can't win it for all of us. We were not a a coaching staff that celebrated our best players. We demanded the most from the best players, and and we made that obvious. We weren't going to pamper our best players. Uh, We weren't going to look the other way if they they made a mistake. We weren't going to pat them on the butt because we – we were afraid to coach him. We were, we were going to be unafraid to coach our best players, and, and we wanted everybody to understand that it was going to take all of us. You know, if you have a scout team role, and I was a career scout team guy, I was going to take that role seriously, and we, we got our kids to buy into that. Those are some of the things, you know, that I believed then and, and that I still believe today. We were never going to embrace success. It was always a journey and never a destination. And I know some of these things, you know, are phrases and concepts, you know, that, that I learned since I started coaching in 72. And some of them I learned from guys like John Wooden and and Bill Walsh and, and Bo Schembechler. And some of them I learned from guys' names you wouldn't know or recognize. But I, I think that, you know, being that kid in high school who was more interested in coaching than playing, I, I look for things and I, I'm an avid reader, and I have an enormous library of books and videos, and that's just who I was. So, you know, if the devil could teach me something about being a better coach, I was going to go ahead and learn from the devil. (laughs) Okay, Coach, so let me regurgitate Mm -hmm. back to you what I heard.
0: Okay, and I heard uh, a couple different things. One is that and so many coaches fall into this trap. They take the best dude on the team, and they treat him special. Yep, and it ruins ruins the whole organization, the whole program. Right, right. and it's because you have you just created a double standard, That's and correct. so, right, and so the the players can't trust a coach that has a double standard, and the coach created the double standard by treating playing favoritism to the the most outstanding blessed players. Right. Okay, the second thing that you said was you don't do things by accident. You're not winging practice. No. Everything you're doing has a purpose.
1: That, that and
0: helps. and the thing that you're doing is you're basically, it's almost like building a house. You start with the foundation and then you build the walls and then everything else follows from there. You start with indie period, teaching the fundamentals so that the the players can be excellent at what they do. So when you put them together as a team, now you can make
1: music. Yes. It's especially in offense. Yeah. Yeah, there, there, there's, no, there's no offensive play that doesn't require at its best for all 11 guys to get their job done. And we and we know that that doesn't happen every play, but that should be the goal every play. You know, and and that connects to that first thing that I mentioned about nothing about football as being unimportant. You know, it's part of our responsibility as coaches to get the the guys on the backside of a power play to the right to, to understand that, you know, even though you're not at the point of attack, your assignment is key and critical to the success of the play. So, you know we we didn't want players making decisions about what was or wasn't important we We achieved that you know to to a measure you know that that also i think is a journey and never a destination you know you You, you can't say it one time and and have it you know be achieved you, you know it's 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 a daily reminder of all the things that you believe
0: obviously if you guys were the mythical national champion, you had excellent players and you had a lot of success in your winning. Let's talk about both of those. But let's start out with how do you teach young men how to win? And before you answer, I just want to put a little sidebar in here. So many kids, and this applies at the pro level too, have talent, can make plays. They're outstanding players. But they still don't know how to win. And other players do know how to win. How do you teach a kid how to win and what does that mean?
1: Winning – Winning, is, as far as I'm concerned, is a cumulative result of what a whole bunch of people are supposed to do, and it's pretty obvious that you you can't win a game by yourself. It, it, it's a team game, the constant team game. We involve the most people at one time on a play than any other sport that that I can think of. I'm not I'm not sure if I can think of a team sport where we've got you know. Twelve or more people, you know, at one time participating, you know, on offense or defense or or in the outcome, and and so it's it's a, it's a collaborative effort, and you know while you're attempting to do your your job and and complete your assignment to the best of your ability, you know that alone is not enough, and so I think we we focused on, on getting our, our our kids to understand not only their responsibility but to understand the big picture and and, and how their responsibility and and their assignment connected to to the other ten in the huddle, you know, that got the best result. We discouraged selfishness. uh, We rewarded unselfishness. We punished selfishness. Um, And and I'm not talking about anything physical, but we were never going to reward that. I, I think kids who come to us in our programs, you know, with the ability to run and the willingness to hit, but, but they didn't all come being unselfish. There was a whole bunch of them that were superstars, you know, in the lower levels. And uh, they had to learn the, how to function with all those kids who weren't superstars because that's what it took to win.
0: Okay, let's jump to quarterback. Yep. You play quarterback. You coach quarterbacks. Yep. And if you look at all levels, especially the NFL, but really it's all levels, most offenses go as far as their quarterback takes them. because most offenses require the quarterbacks to be really good what are the physical traits and what are the mental traits that you look for for the best performing quarterbacks
1: and let me preface it by saying that that we don't have cookie cutters right it's high school coaches and our quarterbacks year to year to year to year they're not always the same guy now now if, if you happen to have a sophomore who wins the starting job and, and you're going to have him function as a starter barring injury for three years, you know, that's that's a blessing because for at least those three years, you know, and, and I'm a guy I believe that, that believes too that the offense succeeds if the quarterback succeeds. And, and, and so what we chose to do offensively had an awful lot to do with the ability of, of the starting quarterback at that particular time. We were going to ask – we were not going to ask kids to do what they couldn't do. But, but if, if if we had an option guy or we had a guy that was a better runner than thrower, then what we did offensively w- was going to be a little different while while he functioned in that starting capacity. And, and it might change because, because the next guy might have been a better thrower, a better decision maker, a, a better – under guy a better gun guy so the individual traits that they brought to the position that affected to some extent what we chose to do but but what what we were absolutely going to do is we were going to take the quarterback and whatever he did well and and we were going to we're going to tailor what we did to him and if he succeeded then we thought the the offense had a chance to succeed so I was a big believer in in uh, toughness um, I, you know, in quarterback don't have to dish out an awful lot of punishment, but th- but they have to be able to tolerate it. Uh, they, they have to be, you know, tough physically, but they got to be tough uh, mentally, you know, because an awful lot of times, you know, those guys get a lot a lot of credit, maybe more than they deserve when things go right, but they get a lot of blame. So when things don't go well, we we coach toughness. We we coached a, a, a ton of basic, you know, fundamentals that I see lacking in the game today. Um, I, what are I those
0: coach what are those well
1: I, I'm a quarterback coach, and, and I sort of coach I coach him from the ground up. You know I'm a big footwork guy, and and i I, I believe in coaching drops and 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 I believe in getting to launch points uh, expeditiously. Um, I coach the kid from from you know head to toe and toe to head, but i I, I believe that footwork has an awful lot to do. With, with a quarterback's su- success in, in throwing the ball. I think the angle of departure, you know, if you're under center run game is a critical concept. You know, if we're running stretch, you know, that angle of departure for the quarterback is going to be different than if it's power or ISO or, or midline dive. I coached an awful lot about vision and, 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 and believe that, you know, when we get our kids to, to understand that they got to put their eyes where they need to be, you know, the eyes, you know, gather information, and, and gathering information helps me make a decision. Uh, we were a team that created triangles with receivers, and we tried to read triangles and distribute the ball accordingly based on coverage. I didn't, I didn't overcoach grip because every kid's hand size is not the same. Um, there were there were certain points about the grip that I coached, but if they could spin the ball, I didn't, I didn't try to change the grip that they had. I didn't try to overcoach. Throwing mechanics, I, I try to, to correct critical flaws. But being on balance and in and on balance, and and uh, you know something called the conservation of angular momentum. It has to do with you know rotation of hips and shoulders in order to get velocity and distance. I didn't overcoach that, but tried to break it down to to basic phrases that you know if if I if I mentioned a phrase, you know that that replaced a paragraph and they understood what, what that meant. You know, I still train quarterbacks, even though I'm retired. Uh, and I work with everything from GRI kids up to kids that are entering their freshman year of college. Um, and I think that the quarterbacks who I coach and quarterbacks who played for me, I, I think that when you see them, they demonstrate a belief in, in the things that really good quarterbacks coach. Now, I, I, I said that there are some basics and fundamentals that I, I see lacking today. I was a guy that believed in front hand pressure on the ball until the moment of the throw. But a lot on Saturdays and even on Sundays that we see quarterbacks running around behind the line of scrimmage with the ball in one hand. I think plenty of position begins with great ball security and we have better ball security when we have two hands on the ball than when we have one hand on the ball. I never tolerated that. And, and I don't know that they coach that anymore because it's bad ball security to have the ball in your bare hand running around with it at your side, but we see it all the time. And, and I think that's an invitation for a turnover, and, you know, our first responsibility is to take care of the ball. I don't, I don't know that, you know, why I coach feet and footwork so much is I think that, you know, I was a timing throw guy, and we had timing throw concepts, one, two, three, step, ball gone, you know, I did did a quick five step drop. One, two, three, four, five. Ball gone. No hitch. No no read. No delay. And then we had a, a five step drop where where we might have read a progression. You know, and we might have hitched once or twice in the pocket before the release of the ball. We tried to have play action off our best run actions, um, and we we tried to be a great screen team because when you're good at screening the ball in high school, that can be a a very successful, critical part of your, your success in your game.
0: No doubt about it. Okay, Tom, who's the best player that you've coached that either went on to the pros or went on to college and did really well? And then when you name who it is, describe for the audience what attributes did that player have physically and mentally to put him in that position?
1: Okay. okay. I had a wide receiver at Warren Harding by the name of Mario Manningham. Mario played for Michigan and had a great career. And and then he had, uh, it it wasn't a greater professional career, but he had a good professional career. He was with the Giants, uh, you know, I think for, uh, you know, a contract, his rookie contract. Uh, And, and, and then with the second year contract, you know, he took an offer from the, the 49ers and was with them for a contract and then returned to the Giants. So, so, so he was a, a three contract guy, you know, maybe you know ten or twelve years in the league, but but he was the best high school receiver that I ever coached, and and again he had an equally great college career, you know, playing at Michigan, and a less spectacular career playing as is a pro. Um, I had a defensive back by the name of Mike Doss that played at Ohio State. He was a state champion for us. He was a national champion with the Buckeyes, and he was injured the year the Colts won the super bowl when Peyton was there uh he was injured and, and couldn't play but he started for the colts uh and and his professional career was was interrupted be, because of an injury and and i had a running back at warren harding by the name of maurice Clarette, who who starred uh for us he was mr football in the state of ohio he started for a high state as a as a freshman during their national championship year you know with jim trestle but is a is a, is is this sometimes the case? You know, he came under the influence of of some people that, that weren't good for him. He 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 strayed from you know a path that would have led to to more continued success at a high state and probably the NFL. And and so it was a very short career at a high state and virtually no career at all in the NFL. You know, because of of, of a misstep at, at one point in his in his life. The, the good news about Maurice now is he seeks nationally, coast to coast, to corporations uh, and, and you know, college football teams, professional football teams, and, and basically he's, he's got a great story about you know, don't do what I did uh, you know, to, to, to prolong your career and to be successful you know, all of life and, and not just during a short period of a career. You know, Mike Dahls is, is a successful uh, businessman in, in surgical sales uh, right now. And Mario Manningham is is retired and and lives you know in North Canton, Ohio. He's got he's got a son that people are going to be talking about someday. But those were three very different kids. All happened to be ma- minority kids. Mario came from a, from a family with a with a great mom and an amazing grandpa. Uh, his 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 grandpa was was the key father figure in his life. Uh, and his and his grandpa gave Mario over to me. And and uh, fully supported, you know, how I approach coaching. Uh, fully supported the fact that I wasn't going to baby Mario or pamper him; that I was going to expect more from him. Um, and 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 fought for me as as a head football coach, you know, in in the black community. You know, uh, you know whether he was coming out of church or going into the barber shop, he was going to be a defender of Tom McDaniels because he knew that Tom McDaniels you know, had something that was going to be best for Mari Manningham. Maurice Claret was a legendary kid, is, is a youth player, uh, middle school player. And and I inherited him, him when he was a junior when I went to Warren Harding, which is in northeastern Ohio. Um, and we had an early confrontation as, as a first-year head coach his junior year in, in the year 2000. We had pregame meals, and he skipped the pregame meal. And when I confronted him about it, he, he told me that he wasn't hungry. And I said, fine, but it's not your decision to miss a meal. If you're not hungry, then you come with your teammates and you just don't eat the meal. But you don't get to make that decision. And, and he didn't like the fact that I confronted him with that and he reacted the wrong way. So I didn't play him that night, and we lost 13-7. to wow. And I didn't play him the next week, and we won. But and this was like the third game of the year, my first year at Warren Harding in in my you know what seventeenth year of, of head coaching. But when presented with an opportunity to make an example, and I never looked for one of those. But but I also learned to never pass that up. There was never a need to discipline you know Maurice Corret again ever and there was never a need to discipline almost all the other players who witnessed that on that team because we were going to expect the most from the best. Uh, but that was you know, that was a meaningful time for him in his life. He had never experienced that before. He was the tail that wagged the dog, and, and he was the great player that people pampered and babied, you know, and we believed in coaching that guy hard and having high expectations. And he and I are close to this day. I had him come and speak to my old high school team not too many years ago, uh, because I felt like like those kids needed to hear his success to failure to success story and and he he delivered in, in magnificent fashion so so those are three really good players that I had that, that came from from tough circumstances, but accepted hard coaching, I think got better as a result, maybe forever, maybe for a time and and, and maybe they had to come back. And, and you know many of the things that that I was espousing, you know, to Maurice, you know, when 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 he he went astray, he's now coaching and, and espousing to corporate America and and college teams and professional teams all across the country. So I, I think it all came back, you know, to a good ending.
0: No doubt about it. So I know uh, I know of all three of those guys. I've seen him play in college. I so saw him playing the pros. Um, Maurice was obviously in a entangled in an interesting uh, draft eligibility issue back in the day and uh, was made an example and obviously, like you said he 's turned that that pain into glory for other people by you know sharing with them don 't do what i do that 's pretty cool so um, very familiar with those guys what i 'd like to do is kind of shift gears coach you 've got Share share with everybody, your family, and you've got two sons right now that are coaching in the NFL. Yep. One has been a former head coach and coached Tom Brady for years. So why don't you share, you know, the, in deference to however many kids you have, how many kids do you have?
1: I, I have three sons, and, and my oldest son uh, was a cross-country kid, and, and and he works for the county uh, in, in which I live. Um and uh Josh you you're more familiar with because of his his time with the Patriots and, and his short time as is the Denver Broncos head coach and 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 Ben uh uh has been in both the NFL and, and major uh division 1 college football and and he's just accepted a position you know with with the Houston Texans both both kids played for me both kids were quarterbacks they had elevated football IQs, I think, because they've been in and around the locker room since they were four or five years old. You know, the the biggest treat that they had back when we were using sixteen millimeter projectors, uh, you know, I'd bring the projector home and I'd watch film at home and, and I'd let them run the button. <laughs> so 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 they date back to sixteen millimeter projectors and 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 I know that they learned a lot uh, just being around my assistant coaches, they learned a lot. Um, they, they knew drills and they knew footwork, and 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 they knew things. You know, before we we got to the point where we were coaching them formally, as as junior high or middle school or freshman kids. Um, um, but 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 neither was a very big kid. You know, Josh was you know probably 5'9", and. You know, forty-five. You know, when when he was a starting quarterback for us, he was also a really good kicker. Uh, he he held a lot of the McKinley career kicking records until they've been surpassed. Uh, Benjamin was a little taller, but a little leaner. Um, um, but but, but both, you know, Josh took us deep into the playoffs um, um, during his time here. Uh, He was part of the 100th McKinley-Masslin game. It was featured in a six- or seven-page article in Sports Illustrated. That game was played in 1994, and it was the 100th anniversary of of that rivalry that dated back to 1894. I I believe it's the oldest high school rivalry in the country, Um, but both Masslin and McKinley are are known nationally as, as high school powers, Um, we lost the hundredth game because he missed an extra point in overtime and we lost 42 to 41. Um, and then we played that same team, Massman in the rubber bowl in front of 30,000 people and we won 27, you know, to 20. Um, but, but, you know, those are historic things, you know, in our region of the country, those, those are remarkable, um. And, and Benjamin won two national championships uh, in 97, or state championships. We won in 97 and we won in 98. He was a three-year starter. We were 37-3, and three, you know, during his three years. Uh, you know, we won so many playoff games, it was like he had a redshirt year. He played 40 games in three years. Um, but uh, Josh went to John Carroll University, and you know them as the school that's that's you know, given rise and given birth to so many you know, really, really successful coaches, whether they're college coaches, and there's a whole bunch of them that are in the NFL in some capacity. Uh, and Ben went to Kent State and played for Glenn Mason. Um, Josh G would for Nick Saban at Michigan State, and Ben G for Glenn Mason at Minnesota. Um, and 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 so you know, they took what they learned from me and And went on to other people to to learn other things and learn way more than than I knew um um and and uh uh you know the the last message they got from me is if if they tell you to make coffee, you do it better than anybody's ever done it before, and if they tell you to go pick up a recruit at the airport you you do that better than anybody's ever done it before um you know don't make decisions about what it is or is important you know, the task that you're assigned right now, that's the most important task you have until you get assigned, you know, assigned the next one. You know, so our you know, I sort of fostered that belief and then Nick required that and so did Glenn Mason. So, you know, they they went to work for people who sort of thought the same way. I knew those guys personally and, and, and Josh had one offer as a GA and it was at Michigan State with Nick and Ben had one offer was a GA and it was at Minnesota with Glen Mason, but you know they then parlayed that into you know the careers that, that they've they've had since then. Well, let's talk about the
0: NFL for a moment. Yep. Everybody puts the NFL up on a pedestal for obvious reasons. It's it's there's a lot of money. It's the Super Bowl. It's it's the apex of a sport. What are what are some of the things that are still the same that people don't even realize are the same? Because I I see from looking at all different levels, I feel like they're all the same. I mean, one gets a paycheck on Tuesday, and in college you don't, in high school you don't. But I see them mostly as the same. What is your perspective of having, you know, two sons that coach in the NFL? What what do you see as the differences?
1: Well, I I agree with you to some extent. I think they're the same to some extent. Certainly not every. The hash marks aren't the same. The width, of the goal posts aren't the same. The length of the field and the width of the field—that's the same. You know, once. You know, Josh got into the you know in, in the major college, uh, you know, with Nick at Michigan State and Ben at Minnesota, and, and once they got into the NFL, you know, I, I I've been a guy who attended bowl practice my entire coaching career. I, I'd go where they'd let me attend, and and I'd watch and I'd study and I'd learn, and and I made spring visits every year. I, I'd make visits to two places, and it was usually. They did something that I wanted to learn how to do better, or they 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 did something that fit what we were doing at, at, at my school, and and so you know I had a desire to learn and a curiosity. So when when they got to Michigan State, Minnesota, you know the New England Patriots, you know I had opportunities to learn you know in the NFL that that I hadn't had before, and and what I learned was was that there are versions of the game of football and the pro version is not the same as, as college and the college version is not the same as high school. And and, and what I learned is that that w- whether it was a, a, a fundamental or a concept or a play, you know you know, that, that the Patriots use, I had to do the high school version of that play. I, I think I think pro players you know, are are more mature than college and high school guys. Um, they have technologies that they are 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 able to use to teach that that I never had in high school or maybe only had at the end of my career. Um, I, you know, th- th- they're grown men, and, 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 and some of them are still becoming men when they enter the league. But but they have capacities to learn that may surpass the capacities. Of, of those inner city kids, you know, and, and high school kids that I coached, Some of them came from inner city programs and grew into, you know, being, being pros. Most of them had talents and abilities. You know, I just named the three best guys I ever had and none of them was a great professional. They were just good professionals. So the talent level at the NFL is the best of the best, whether we've heard of them or not, you know, if they make that, 53-man roster and they end up starting and they end up being successful or even if they're not successful they might be successful individually but the talent level was amazing in in the NFL and and I coached it it, it, at places who had great high school football the detail in, in the NFL surpasses to some extent I can't necessarily put a number on it you know high detail you know that say a Nick Saban or an Urban Meyer requires where where they coach you know maybe not by much but to some extent and and you know the detail that that you know Alabama and High State and the great college programs require that that surpassed that surpasses to some extent what we required now we tried to match their level but but it ended up being a high school version of Alabama or High State or New England and that's the key I, I think is 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 I think we need to learn from the people who teach it and coach it best, but then I think we have to take it home and figure out what the high school version of that is. Because in most instances, you know, our teams are never going to be as talented, you know, from the first guy to the last guy as their first guy to their last guy. Um and and, and that that was the key for me to take what I learned from 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 Bill or Nick or urban and 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 do our version of it, uh, be, because the exact version, you know, that didn't fit our template, and and and, and so I learned to do that. And, and Coach Belichick was gracious of, about me being available, uh, especially in the spring and at OTAs and, and maybe the preseason practices. Not so much in season. I never bothered to be at in season practices. Didn't want to interfere, you know. But Josh would would ask, hey, Bill, my dad's in town. Do you mind if he comes to practice? And Bill, at one point, Bill told him, he said, you don't need to ask anymore. If your dad's in town, he's welcome here anytime, anywhere. So so it got to be that way. But but, but I think th- the best thing I learned was, okay, this is what they do, and this is how they do it. Okay, now what's my version of it so, so that we can come as close to duplicating that as, as, as possible? And, and the most remarkable difference, you know, I talked about some of the similarities and some of the differences, but the most remarkable difference in, 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 a, in attending a pro practice, you know, for my very first time, it was not the size or the speed of the players. It was the volume of communication that took place. You know, let, let's say that the Patriots were, were in, a, in a huddle. You know, from the huddle, Paul that the, the rookie quarterbacks struggle making to the management at the line of scrimmage that Tommy demonstrated to the counter call that Teddy Bruski made on defense before the the volume of, of you know not just how much but how loud and how it was communicated. You know, if if Teddy made a call, it was echoed by ten other guys uh, so that so that he knew that they heard what I said, and and and, and Bill would Tommy get the line of scrimmage, and Bill would have have Teddy in their training. Now they're not preparing for an opponent. Change it, move it, move it, move it. He'd move the front, he'd move the backers, he'd change the secondary. You know, and and, and that would that would result in Tommy, you know, having to make an alert all within the, at that point. You know, the thirty-five or forty seconds they had to get the ball set. That blew me away. That that's the biggest difference from NFL coaching. You know the way Bill did it and the way Josh learned it. You know to what we did in high school.
0: Well, it was like a chess match in the NFL. Oh,
1: oh. But but the- that's what made
0: Tom Brady or that's what made Peyton Manning so phenomenal. Was he he always got the last move, and then as soon as he made his adjustment, he got the ball. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. Right. So let's talk yeah. about Tom Brady for a minute. And how many yeah. Super Bowl rings does Josh have?
1: Josh has been the nine and one six.
0: Okay. So your son has been a coach in six winning Super Bowls. And right. certainly, you know, he's tied at the hip with Tom Brady and Tom's success over the years. And of course, he jumped over to Denver for a minute and then came back. But what is what has Tom Brady taught your son? Because a lot of times we learn from players that he might not even know, but the fact that he was associated and got the opportunity to coach Tom
1: Brady. The, the, what was the special most, about Tom? Yeah, the, the, the most important thing that, that I think Josh learned from Tom was that he wanted to be coached hard. Uh, you know, sometimes we have to impose that on our best players. I know we do in high school. We have to impose hard coaching on those pampered kids that we got out of youth football or middle school. Right. Correct. Right. Yes. Well, Tommy made it clear early in, in 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 their relationship that that you don't have to impose that on me. I I want that. I need that. And 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 that fit into the way that Josh was raised in football because that was what he was used to as a player, and it was it was what he was used to working for Nick Saban. I promise you, it was what he was used to working for Bill Belichick. And so it was, it was, you know, that 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 was that was that was an immediate revelation. But it didn't necessarily mean that it was easy, you know, because I'm going to coach, you know, arguably the goat, uh, and 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 I'm I'm what three years older than he is, or two years older than he is, right. and and you know, and I've got to coach him hard every day, and and I've got to try to make him better every day. You know, there was there was nothing that Tommy ever wanted about waste of time. That that's not who he was, and it's not it's not fortunately who Josh was, or Bill, or Nick. You, you know, those guys maximize every second, every minute, and 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 Tommy was, you know, he he wasn't into into in any waste of time, and, and neither was Josh. So so that was copacetic. You know, but, but imagine having to impose that on a guy. That's tough, okay? Well, it's even more tough, more difficult, I, I think, to meet that standard on a daily basis with a guy who's as accomplished as Tommy is. Um, and, and yet, you know, somehow somehow he did that. Their relationship was was strong, lasting, and permanent. You know, they'll forever, you know, not, not be – uh, not not be tied at the hip you know visibly but but they're close uh you know both both professionally and personally their kids you know are about the same ages you know they they shared being fathers you know together they shared being husbands together um and, and it's 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 a really rare and special relationship that they had um and 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 it wasn't always fun, you know. And and and, and you know that's another thing that, that I learned, and, and I ended up taking back and, and, and teaching to my coaches and to my players. Uh, you know, being excellent is never easy and not always fun. But but that's the way it is. That's the deal. It, it's not easy, and it's not always fun. And and so there, you know, in any coaching relationship. You know, like any, any relationship, you know that a husband has with a wife, they're not all in one hundred percent agreement. You know, everything isn't always copacetic. Everybody has good days and bad days, but their relationship was so strong, and it remains that way. That that they got through the days that that were difficult. They got through the days, you know, where together they they maybe didn't reach consensus about. About whatever. I can't even be specific about what that was. But, but that, that, to me, is the measure of the, of, of the depth and quality of their relationship, that it survived all of that to this day.
0: That's fantastic. Coach, let's jump to two of the coaches that your family is intertwined with that are arguably the two best coaches of all time. They're certainly two of the best coaches during lifetime. And Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick right. and Nick Saban are friends because they work together. Yeah. So, when you look at it from a little bit of an insider's viewpoint, but let's just pretend you're not. But let's what little you know. What separates those two guys? And just start with Belichick first. What separates them from everybody else on the planet that coaches football?
1: Their, their, their personalities are not identical. Um, so, so, so it isn't personality. Um, and, and, and let me mention this about Bill because this is a little known thing. Uh, uh, I, I think about Bill. Josh believes that Bill is the best listener he's ever known in his life. And, and, and I don't know if you've heard that before, but but you know Bill is 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 credited with a lot of things, but I don't know if he gets enough credit for being the best listener. That, that my son has ever known, um, and, and I, you know, I wanted it to be me. <laughs> you know, uh, right. maybe I want Josh to be the best listener to me. But but Bill is Bill is open to other concepts and thoughts and opinions, and, and he's willing to listen. But, but but he is so gifted and so knowledgeable. Your presentation better be remarkable. You know, it can't be a great idea with a bad presentation. Uh, or it can't be a great presentation, but but a you know a concept or a thought that's that's not sound or fundamental or you know steeped in basics. But but that that's just that's just a separate thing about Bill. Um, I I I think it's you know when I say nothing about football is unimportant. I believe that Nick Saban and Bill Belichick live that. There's nothing about the job description that is unimportant. You know w- what they're doing at the moment. In time is the most important part of, of the job, um, but, but 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 I don't think they 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 rank order stuff. I, I you know I, I think that they do the best job of that of, of any of the people that, that I've ever met or know. You know Nick is credited with with being you know the guy that can deliver that home visit recruiting conversation that you know that is unmatched. You know, Bill. Bill is is you know he doesn't have to recruit, but but I think that, that Bill does a, is is good a job of, of getting players prepared to succeed on on game days. Um, and, and I know Nick does the same thing. You know, very early in, in the week, and this is something that I learned from from them. You know, Bill can take an opponent you know and the players play Sunday they come in for you know film review and injury check on Monday they're off Tuesdays but they come in Wednesday and and in just a matter of a few short phrases Bill can identify things that that they have to do really well in order to win and they're not the same things week to week because the opponent changes week to week so so it's it's not about you know taking last week's plan and using it this week. Um, you know, Bill does a and, and, and we're talking offense, defense, and special teams. He's able to identify. He's able to, to you know communicate you know with Josh and to Josh. Okay, these are the things that offensively we need to we need to be great at in order to be successful. And and, and so Bill probably does that as, as well as and, and I don't know a whole lot of other head coaches in the league i know some but but i don't know them that well to to say that they do that the same way and 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 nick is he's he's extremely demanding demanding of his coaches demanding of of players you know i think nick still coaches you know corners you know whether full-time or part-time but he's still he's still actively involved in, in in coaching but but you know, there's 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 no tolerance for lack of effort. There's no tolerance for lack of preparation. There's no tolerance for lack of detail. And all of that lets you be your best self. That lets, you know, your unit be its best unit uh, in that particular moment, in that particular situation. That's, that's who they are, and that's how I view them as being similar. Okay, so
0: you've had a son that's been a head coach in the NFL. And we both know that the NFL is cutthroat, and expectations are usually unrealistic. What will Josh do differently, and what has he learned from that experience that's going to help him the next time he becomes a head coach?
1: Um, when 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 it it didn't go well for him in in Denver, and and you know you know at Bill's advice you know, Bill told him, you need to go home and see your mom and dad. And so Josh got on a plane and he he came to see his mom and dad to make sure that we were okay. And we were okay. Um, But the the advice that I gave to Josh, and and I, I was only following, you know, what I, what I came to, to think is successful more myself. You, you need to be, you know, you need to, take a word document or an excel document and you need to you need to list the things that you would absolutely do differently the next time around and you need to start that list before you get on the plane to fly to to Canton Ohio and and it needs to be you know there's no end to that list because you know as as you review what you did and how you did it you know whether it was fully your responsibility or not. You, you need to list the things that you would do differently, you know, if given a second opportunity to be a head coach. So so he has a list, and it's a working list, and, and it's, it's, you know, there, there's no end to that. And at the same time, you, you need to discern and you need to study and scrutinize what you did, and you need to make a list of the things that you would do the same. Okay. No doubt. No doubt. Um, and, and, I think... and so he has done that. Now there's some of those things on that list that he has shared with me because we've discussed it, but there are probably just as many that that didn't need to be discussed, you know, with me. But 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 he's he's looking forward to the next opportunity. The next great opportunity, if and when it presents itself, but he also knows he's got a great job, maybe the best job in the NFL.
0: He's got a fantastic job, and, yes. you know, there's a time that's going to come where, you know, he may step yes. right in to be the head yes. coach up there. So he doesn't need to be jumping around and chasing a job.
1: We, we don't know that. That's not a given, and, and it's not expected to be. We don't know that.
0: That is true, too. You don't know, you know. Yep. And ownerships change. Lots of different things change, and, you know, sometimes – Organizations want to go with the past successes. Sometimes you want to turn the page and start fresh with whole new philosophy, all new people. So there's nothing that you can ever plan on. But, you know, I think the thing that's really cool for you being a lifetime coach at the high school level and having the opportunity to coach some guys that went on to the pros and several guys that went on to play in college is to have your own kids, you know, coaching at the, you know, the elite level. So what does it feel like for you as a dad? Now, not you're not a coach now. You're a father. And you're watching your kids do what they get to do, and Josh in particular in a Super Bowl, coach in a Super Bowl. How cool is that for you?
1: That's really cool. Um, and, and it's it's just role reversal. Remember I told you that they came to practice when they were four or five? Well, yep. it's just role reversal. I'm just 72, but I'm the four or five-year-old. Bold. That gets to go to practice and watch them practice or gets to go to Super Bowls and watch them coach you know so so you know it's 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 just role reversal, our ages are just slightly different by the way, he's on his way to pick me up to take me to lunch right now,
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay well, I won't hold you up for that um coach, is there anything I didn't ask you that you would like to add, and then I'll just ask you a question and you could answer it, or are you good?
1: Um, there's probably a thousand things but but I can't wrap my I can't wrap my seventy two year old mind around what those thousand would be right off the cuff.
0: It's okay. better when
1: you ask me a pointed question because then I can okay. give you a pointed answer.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I do have one last question. Sure. Okay, coach. So you're seventy two, you've coached football for over forty years, you've passed on the legacy to your two of your sons that are coaching in the NFL. What is the most important, what are the components of a mindset that you see that, you know, if there's a kid out there listening that aspires to play in the pros, or there's a kid in college that's playing that wants to make it to the pros, or, you know, anybody in any situation that wants to get to the next level compared to where they're at. It could be a guy that's in the pros and wants to become a starter because right now he's on the bench. What are the attributes and the components of, an, of a mindset, in your opinion, that it takes to get to the highest level and to play at that level.
1: Well, I I, I think you got to understand that that there are many rungs to that ladder, and every when you're climbing a ladder, every rung matters. And 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 you know whether it's sleep or whether it's diet, which are way more important now than they used to be 40 years ago. We didn't know to even coach that stuff, or you know in season strength training, out of season strength training. Uh, films, whatever it is, you, you need to do that at a championship level. You need to study at a championship level. You need to eat and sleep at a championship level. You need to train. You need to be around championship people. Uh, if, if if the championship and, and remarkable success is your goal, then you have to expect that from yourself in every way. And, 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 and you know, I, I don't know that I can state it more simply, but, but at the same time, I, I think that that is the profound, simple truth. Okay,
0: so let me rephrase what I just heard you say. If you look at mindset as a ladder, every mm-hmm. step matters. You can't skip them. You can't nope. skip two.
1: Every run Right? Of the- so
0: whether it's your recovery, whether it's your preparation, yep. whether it's your eating habits, whether it's your sleep habits, whether it's your pay attention to the playbook, taking mental reps and all those things you got to do them all yep and that's what you got to do and then how you got to do them is you have to be excellent you have to be you have to do them in in a level that's you know commensurate with winning championships
1: yeah i think i think demanding excellence from yourself prepares you to to meet great expectations from other people you can't go from not expecting it from yourself to suddenly figuring out how to meet it when other people demand it so so it's all about self-discipline in every facet of your life if remarkable excellence is what you want.
0: Amen, brother. Coach, thank you so much for being on Pro Mindset today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you did. I did. remarkable. this was a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate the invite. All right, Coach. Well, have fun at lunch with your son. I will. Best of luck and hopefully our paths cross down the road. I would look forward to that. You stay safe. Thank you, Coach. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.